guys uh peter and i are gonna get started if you guys want to come in close otherwise it's gonna be weirder than it already is it's pretty weird man it's already pretty weird uh thanks for coming thank you peter thanks very much one more time for peter evans <laughs> um maz 
So I, I should say the I first everything time, from Matt Swift. The first time I met Peter Evans uh, in 2005 or six, uh, the cello player, Ak Young Lee, had told me that I was the sickest person she knew after Peter and that we should be friends. Like sick in the head. Yes. Yeah. And the very first time Peter and I hung out was on Christmas Eve. We went to Noodle Town. He stayed at my house, and we spent Christmas morning together uh, at Russ and Daughters. Mm-hmm. And I don't ever want to spend Christmas with you again. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, yeah, but I mean, um, I got strangely nostalgic during that set in the way the music was put together because it reminded me of that period of time. It's like Bing Crosby crooning. It's... No, more like Z's <laughs> oh, and okay, the oh, original okay. quartet with, uh, Bra- uh, with Peter, sorry, with Brandon, Tom, and mm. Kevin of just like really intense, jagged music. Mm. Um, and seemingly at that time, between Cake Shop and The Stone, there was a lot of places to, to, to make that kind of shit happen. Mm-hmm. Is that, is, am, I, am I misremembering things? There was a lot of shitty places to play weird music, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you need those places. I, you, I, yeah, you need them. I'm not saying this place. This place is actually kind of nice. This place is nice. We don't uh, belong here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. There's, there's a hyper-specificity. I don't have enough like, like, tattoos to be in this neighborhood, I, I feel no. like. <laughs> it's a little weird. Yeah. It's a little weird. But it was not that long ago that mm. uh, like glass lenses. Anyway, I don't right. know. Right. The good old days. We were talking before the set about consciously in our solo sets, because uh, both, you know, Peter does a lot of solo concerts, I do a fair share of them, of instead of doing one long piece for a solo set, doing mm. short pieces. Mm. And I realized that it kind of breaks down the fourth wall if you do that. Because you give the audience a reset every time. Right, you have to face them. It's horrible. It's awful. <laughs> it's excruciating It's the right last now. thing I want to think about is you people. <laughs> it's consciously. Gotcha. I care about you deeply, but I don't want to think about you rationally. <laughs> no, I'm, I, I actually really mean that. But you're, are you focusing on shorter pieces now with the solo stuff? No, I just, okay, so like I uh, was in LA last week and I did a duo concert with this trumpet player, uh, Ambrose Akamusery. And so we, we've done a couple of them now and we were hanging out talking about practicing. Uh-huh. And he gave me this really amazing metaphor to describe what I'm doing. What you're doing specifically? Yes, and which is that, because he's done the same thing, because he's an improviser, so his, his thing is, when you practice to, I'm really in, the short pieces were all about practicing stuff, hardwiring stuff into the system, so that when I improvise, I'm, I can just be in this world and not really have to worry about the details, right? Mm-hmm. And so they're not specific pieces or melodies or even, and so I told him about this and he was like, okay, what you're doing is you're not practicing making cars, you're practicing making car factories. So in other words, you're, you're learning how to make a car factory with the car that comes out could be whatever car, mm-hmm. but you're actually, what you're hardwiring is actually like uh, processes and kind of abstract relationships between things. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not a specific car, it's a car factory, right? It's a, it's a machine that makes stuff. So he was saying, okay, yeah, I have like two or three car factories, but I need to practice more. So we're getting in this whole guild thing about how little, we, how little we practice and I gotta make a new car factory. So he's like, okay, so show me, he's like, show me what you're working on. So I wrote down a car. I wrote down an example of what I'm doing. And he's like, that's a car, right? I was like, yeah, it's not a car factory. The car factory is the relationship between the things that are in the example. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I spent April and May practicing. 
a bunch of different car factories. But what, I mean, what does that look like? You're looking at creating a certain amount of consistency in... No, no, it's, so it's, it's, it would be like... Uh, I mean, it's weird having a conversation after the show. So, like, tonight... Tonight... What? Drink the beer. <laughs> so, tonight, there was, a, there was a moment where I played by myself, and I was trying... Some of the car factory... A, a certain car factory came out, which is this thing of, like, kind of you, you creating a, a, a couple of different little melodies that are different, that are, like, different in the specific way, and then, like, that, and then going, like, this with them, mm -hmm. right? Rhythmically. So, like, actually, the way that the melodies are moving against one another, create this, this kind of moving polyphony kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Now the problem is that like to do that on the, to create both melodies and then do that with immediately is really hard. Like it's like my mind doesn't, it's not um, acclimated to that factory enough to do it on the spot. So what I did is I practiced the cars first so I could just get the feeling of what it's like to do that, to do like this, 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 this. And then as that's gotten, as I practice that more, I'm a little bit slightly better at making up new melodies that I haven't practiced before and putting them together in this, in this, in this way, mm -hmm. right? So like, it's take, it takes a long time. Um, does that make any sense? It does make sense. And it seems like, I, I can say for myself, that's like an ongoing challenge. And um, when it comes to improvising, like in, in a way it's most satisfying for me to come up with an idea and then look at it from every angle possible before moving on to another idea. Um, as, as when I listen back to it, it's but the more... But look, the looking is the factory. The thing isn't the factory. It's, right. the, it's the process of looking at it in all these different ways and having the facility to do that. That's the car factory. But the I thing you're like, looking I at is like the car. like musically, like, you know, I mean, when I listen to any of your stuff, whether it's the solo stuff, small group, larger group, I mean, there's such an explosion of ideas. It's like a real kaleidoscope that I, I, you know, if someone asked me who are the fastest musical thinkers you know, you'd be one of the first people I'd mention. Okay. And you're saying that's difficult for you? I don't want to know what I'm doing. I mean, like, I've been checking out, I don't, I've always been pretty, I have a knack for getting into, like, the flow. I know mm -hmm. that, right? It's not difficult for me. Mm -hmm. The problem is the more you do it, and even the guy, the guy that, so I'm kind of, I'm studying this idea from different angles, like comparative religion and psychology, so I, under, so I can get a broader understanding of like what this thing is that I know about kind of, right? Music. No, separate from music. So like the guy that coined the term flow state is this Hungarian psychologist who I can never pronounce his name right. I won't try, but he is a very Western approach to talking about this idea, but he, he came up with like a catalog of the things that are usually present when people are in like the zone or whatever, right? right? And so he talked about musicians and artists and athletes and sort of like emergency responders and stuff. And there's one thing that's, that's really consistent, which is uh, the idea that it has to be challenging. So mm -hmm. like the thing you're doing has to be challenging so that you don't lapse into like rational analysis and, and so that you don't lapse into this thing of judging what you're doing, you know? And so- yeah, no, extenuating so, circumstances keep you present. Yeah, exactly. Present and not and not slipping off things. So, the, so then another angle is like the Zen Buddhist, right? So like you basically have like these monks that are talking about like transcending, you know, dual nature and 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 uh, thinking about life and death in this in this really non kind of binary way. Then you have these lunkhead soldiers that are like, actually, we would love to know about that because we're afraid that we're going to die all hey, the time. Who, who is it? I'm talking about the reason, the reason the Zen Buddhist and the samurai, and the samurai, these guys started to talk to each other, and the way the reason that became a thing is because you have basically guys that are like transcending the idea of life and death. It's not even real. 
And then you have these guys that are like fighting and they're like, okay, well we need to basically concept, we have practical use for that philosophical knowledge because we need to be basically so present in the moment that we don't care that we're gonna die. We're not mm -hmm. even thinking about it. Mm -hmm. So that started to be this thing. So I was reading about this, uh, this process and like the way that some of the swordsmen talked about once they assimilated these ideas, because they didn't send, some of those guys became Zen monks, right? The way some of these swordsmen talked about the, the, their flow state, the idea that, that, that uh, they're looking in the mirror, they're not looking at the other guy, right? The other guy doesn't even matter. They're looking at themselves and they're going through themselves and the sword is just guiding them in the moment and they're basically experiencing like truth or God or the cosmos or whatever the thing is, right? Mm -hmm. And whoever falls off that little train first gets cut down. So they had a really practical reason to get into these ideas. But and anyway, I read some, uh, one of the swordsmen talking about his experience doing this, and it was literally like somebody just took the words out of my brain. It was like the exact same thing. And the more improvisers, for instance, that I hear talk about this stuff, it's really the same shit. And like that's basically what like people from all kinds of different disciplines and religions do. Like this mm -hmm. idea of like tr transcendence, right? So anyway, this idea of challenging your rational world so that you can put yourself beyond it. That's kind of the only way that you can really do it. And I feel like with music, that's like what technique, I'm, I think I, when you're like 19, it's like, I want to be better. And like practice a scale so you're better. Right. And that has a function at a, time, at a certain time of your right. life, but that's actually not why I, I, I know, I think recently I finally, I've realized why I practice. I know why I'm practicing. Yeah. I, and it's not to get better. Like, I can sit there and practice. This is what I do when I practice. I sit there and I go, but, 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 because what I'm doing is I'm just practicing the letter A, and I practice the letter B, and I practice the letter C. And then you might make some combinations of the letters, right? But all you're doing is preparing yourself for the moment where things are challenging and then putting all the shit together in a kind of more combinatorial way where you actually don't know what the fuck you're doing. You don't even know what the letter C is or where it is. Right. It's floating around. So that's kind of the that's that's I mean, kind of what I'm obsessed like with right earlier, now. Earlier, before the show, you mentioned something to Maz because you guys are both headed out um, to Banff mm. to to do music workshops with young musicians, and yeah. Yeah. you said something about you know you're going to be uh, conducting improvisation workshops. I guess we don't really know actually. But what you said something about <laughs> she said, "What are you going to do?" You said, "Oh, I'm going to create as many situations where people feel uncomfortable as possible, and I'm not going to talk <laughs> about it." You got to be willing to get fired when you I teach. Mean, maybe am I misquoting you? <laughs> Yeah, basically. I, mean, I am misquoting you. I didn't say uncomfortable. Okay. I don't. It's that's a weird thing to do actually with students. I have to watch that a little right. bit because I can. I know I can do it. It's not. Oh, it's not really my role sometimes to be doing that. But. Uh, but the purpose of creating a situation that you know is potentially. I think the whole idea of institutionalized creativity is totally stupid, and like. I don't, I don't think that anybody, like the teachers at this program are Maz, me, Matana Roberts, and Corey Smythe, who all of us had some kind of formal training, mm -hmm. and all of us in different ways had people tell us that what we did was no good, and that we, or that we couldn't do it. Because right? it was For something. a variety of right. reasons, it's different for all of us, right? No one ever told me to like circular breathe with pedal tones and like sing on top of it, mm -hmm. right? If anything, they were like, you're gonna pump gas for a living. Like, what are you doing? Like, seriously, that's what my teachers right. told me. Right. Girlfriends, like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Right, right, right. So it's just like, it wasn't like some thing where I went to a program and they're like, oh, that's really interesting. Like, you should check out Bill Dixon. Just do you. No, fuck that. That's never what it is. It's like people basically telling, and maybe that's a harsh description, but I did have teachers that taught me how to play the trumpet pretty well. 
yeah. right? That was helpful. But I mean, how you know? much of being able to play the trumpet really well allows you to then focus on the next thing of what you just that, described, but, which is, you know, you're closer to 40 than you are 30. Right. So what you're talking about are issues much larger than in, improvised music or, or yeah, that's what I mean. an instrument. So the, the idea of teaching someone to be themselves is like inherently wrong in a way. You can't, you can lead them maybe. And that's like kind of the root of the word right. to teach, but it's like, so to have programs where people pay to be around creative people that found their own thing and then that you're supposed to also somehow find that seems to me really kind of lopsided and a little bit weird. I and, agree. Yeah, and I, I don't really know how to reconcile that. I think the best way is just to be honest about it and just say, say so. But, uh, well, I mean, you know, I, I, from what I'm hearing, um, and I think you know, the people that you and I know and, and surround ourselves with, I think we all kind of look at this um, in a similar way, which is the instrument and the, the musical relationships and, and the practice of making work is largely a conduit for our own personal growth. Yeah, I mean, um, it's basically how do you reconcile, we all know that we're gonna die, and we all know that we're living things. We also know we're smart enough as human beings to know that we're separate from other living things, and that paradox is, is rough, right? So there's various ways to, there's various ways to attack this paradox, right? Uh -huh. You know you're alive. You know that there's, there's like living things. We're all living things. And you're in a way, you're one with life, right? right? But you're not a fucking animal. You're not just like a dog, just like shitting and like fucking a tree and just like whatever. Uh -huh. Like you're making decisions. And you're like, oh fuck, I'm gonna, I'm a dog. You're not like, I'm gonna die. And this other dog's gonna live. And like, oh my God, right? <laughs> No, I'm just saying that being preoccupied with that paradox is right. kind of the essence of, that's like what religious thought is, right? So like, and that's kind of what, I think that this kind of process-oriented way of looking at music is basically religious uh, practice. I would say so, but you can guarantee at any moment that it's completely consistent with your own sense of integrity and uh, hopefully you don't delude yourself too much. Mm. I mean, I think about, you know, I listened to the conversation that you and I had back in 2014 it was, it was difficult for me to listen to. I wasn't happy with it. You weren't? No. What, 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 what made you? We didn't, get, we didn't talk about the real shit until after. You mean when we turned the mics off? Turn the mics off. That's always the way it goes. We turned the mics off and got hammered, and then we talked about some real shit. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, listening back, I can hear, you know, I battle with a lot of um, recurrent themes in my life. But I, I, I listened to it. I said, this sounds really bitter and kind of, I don't enjoy listening to this. Jesus. And no, I enjoyed listening to what you had to say, but, but something that came up was like, why do we choose to sort of introduce these really dumb ideas of um, like competition and, and uh, you know, when you're externalizing something that is ostensibly a very internal thing, which is looking inward, mm. going on a journey, you know, and sort of... And some other person that's looking inward is like on the cover of a magazine. You're like, fuck that guy. That's what you're talking about? Well, not specifically. I mean... <laughs> Okay. There's a lot of people I could say fuck that guy about. Right. Okay. Um, Sorry. No. I, yeah. <laughs> but 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 what you know the, the 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 point of it was you know like why do we choose to poison the thing that we hold in the highest regard with the best sense of purity? Hmm. Why do we choose to poison it with? With with these ideas of like uh, we're attaching all these. Um, oh, highfalutin concepts. Well, to it. just you know yeah. Is it you know we're 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 attaching these ideas of success to something that oh, okay. is successful the moment you do it because you did it. Maybe. I mean, I actually, I love the, I personally love the paradox 
The reason I, one of the reasons I love being a musician and I love musicians is because we're right in the nook between these things, right? So like, I love the fact that some of the heaviest musicians I know, when they play, there's like a kind of day at the office thing about it. Yeah. They don't even really acknowledge that what happened was really deep. It's just this thing. <laughs> so like one of my favorite pieces of recorded music is, is uh, and this is just me being a jazz nerd, but like there's this, everyone, you know, the, like, uh, Coltrane would do this ballad feature where he, the band would stop and he'd play this kind of crazy solo at the end where he'd like interpolate a million notes into the melody. So there's this recording that, that's floating around on YouTube of him playing it at a club. And uh, for some reason he doesn't, um, it doesn't work like that. And he just solos on top of the, it's I want to talk about you as this Billy Eckstein mm -hmm. tune. So he's, he's, he just solos on top of the tune. And it's like some transcendent, it's like some later period shit. And it's like the band just kind of starts to double tempos and it starts to get this churning kind of sound. It goes on for like 10 minutes after the 10 minute piano solo. It's in this tiny shitty club. It was like the half note club. There's like several people there. Right. And what's cool about it is like he's playing and there's this kind of transcendent churning vibe. It's like kind of arrhythmic and stuff. And it's still, the song's still going on. And it's kind of getting further and further away from the idea of the song at all. It's like, what is even happening? And then he plays a little cue to tell the band like, okay, we need to like, we're gonna end, let's say we're at the B section, like we're gonna end at the end of the next A section. So we need to start shifting down gears. And the band does it really fast. So like by the time he gets to the last A section, like 10 seconds later, they're back at like ballad tempo. And it's mm -hmm. like, holy shit, we're back at a nightclub in front of 10 people. And then it's just like, they finish and it's just like. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and it's like, I, lo I fucking love it. I love the fact that we went from the, cos we went from the transcendental right. shit cosmos to a bunch of drunks and like a couple of enthusiastic teenagers listening to Coltrane in a nightclub. And like that happened like in 20 seconds. And I actually, I don't think that it's like, and Evan, said, Evan Parker said this in an article about Coltrane, like this idea that like when they made that movie about Dexter Gordon, well really it's about Bud Powell, but it's kind of about Dexter Gordon around midnight. There's this thing at the end of like Hollywood where he's like playing in a stadium in front of lights. And it's like, that's not really the tradition of this music. The, the, right. It's more about intimacy and it's kind of about playing gigs. And it's sort of just about being, I'm not fetishizing playing for no people. It's, no, more, I know, I know. it's more like that the, the whole idea of it is that you're, you're, you're exploring these ideas, these highfalutin conceptual or re even religious ideas in a kind of like dirty business of like just kind of working and just entertainment, like actual show business. I'm not afraid to use that word. I like that, you know? Mm -hmm. I actually like that that's part of what we do. And the people that run from that, I, um, it's fine. And I, I can get with that. That's cool that people run from it in different ways, like maybe more towards show business and more towards something more pure or something. Mm -hmm. But I actually really like being in the middle in the murky part of it, mm -hmm. you know? That's something I really enjoy. And a lot of my favorite musicians seem to really enjoy being in that space. Right. You know, like we saw, I saw Roscoe Mitchell play at the Big Ears Festival with this big group, with this like insane group. I'm sure it cost a ton. He rehearsed them all day. It was like pretty taxing for the audience <laughs> on purpose. And then at the end, it's like, after this like two different walls of noise that went on forever, uh -huh. It's like this stupid funk bass line. He's like announcing the band. It's like you're like in the Holiday Inn all of a sudden. <laughs> and it's like, this guy is fucking hilarious. You know? And I, li I like that. I like that he does that. Well, I mean, there's a sense of humor to it. That's not lost in him. I was surprised when you did that tonight. When you, you know, I, I think for a lot of improvisers, mm. you know, it's, yeah, you're creating a sacred space where you can explore your ideas and everything. But there's also like kind of something exclusionary about it. Yeah, you know? totally, totally. Like, I, I found out the best thing for me when I would um, tour solo to, to counteract any like stage fright was I would just hang out in the audience before the show mm. and talk to people and say, excuse me, I gotta go play. I'll, you know, yeah. I'll, I'll talk to you in 40 Jeremiah, minutes. Jeremiah, I like your playing, except not usually. <laughs> 
by the audience of three people that I'm talking about. Seven Germans in leather pants. <laughs> All over the age of 75. Norm- and six of them don't like what you do, but they're there anyway. <laughs> and you heard about it. <laughs> you know the story about Irabagan going into that spa? I was there. You were there? Well, I was in the room. I was in the... I, I, thought, was, I thought it was Mappa. The story behind the story is more interesting. Which is? Which kind of gets back to... Um, I'm saving your ass. I'm taking us back to what we were talking about a couple minutes ago. Yeah, do that. Basically, like, there's this um, line of women's um, bathing... Or, um, like, like, shampoos and perfumes and stuff. Uh-huh. Elizabeth Kaufman, I think, is the name. And so she is a woman from Austria who... Um, I think she's always had this line of, of stuff. You see it like in airports. And uh-huh. Basically, she inherited this hotel in the Bregenz Valley in Austria from like many generations. It's a really beautiful part of Austria. And uh, this guy, Alfred Vogel, was on tour. He's a drummer. He's from Switzerland. And he just was playing a gig in this. It's called Betzau. It's the name of the town. And he was playing there. And he like met her. And they fell in love. And he moved there. And so now he basically started a festival that happens kind of connected to the hotel and like part of this whole town. This is being recorded and put on the internet, right? Yeah. Okay, so just making sure before I go any further. There's like, um, it's one of those gigs where like you go there, you meet this guy who's just like this enthusiastic drummer that lives in this tiny place. His wife owns this amazing (laughs) hotel and like part of the whole way the thing works is like you hang out with him, like you meet the musicians that are playing at the gig. You're in this hotel with people that have no idea what the fuck we do, you know? It's, it's very strange. Like, this kind of music should not happen in that place. But there's a social aspect that makes it work. Well, but, that's always been the weird thing with Europe. Like, I feel like the hyper-specificity of so much of this music, like, specifically what you just did tonight, like, it, it doesn't make sense that it should be performed for more than, you know, how many people A few are people? Here? Yeah. I, I, I don't, I, that sounded rude. I'm sorry. I yeah. didn't mean that to sound rude. Can, that was rude. Can half of the people please leave? Is that what you're yeah, out. <laughs> We're getting off track, Jeremiah. No, no, I'm going to bring it back on track because something you and I talked about the last time we saw each other was that world of jazz and jazz promotion that takes musicians, puts them on a stage in like a festival environment of like get on stage, play your shit, be done in 45 minutes. Yeah. It can seem very unnatural. It is. But, but, it, but it's helpful for the musician to or it can be, uh, because you, you learn to put on a set of music that's a full-length set of music. Yeah, and like, to ride out things that potentially feel uncomfortable, to ride out things, you know, if the music's not doing well, right. well, you still have 25 minutes, so figure out a way to make it go well. Yeah, I, I like that. And I think comedians really know how to do that. They, they, they learn that in a much harder way than we do, probably. Yes and no. What? I mean, they have a 10-minute set, and like, let's say eight minutes in on this particular night, it just starts to suck for some reason, even though the previous night it worked. But they're also engaging in a medium that speaks directly to people. You're getting Where a if you're playing like alien music and you have a horrible set and three people heard it and you want to go kill yourself, there's like not much to, <laughs> to, to, to bring you back in. Yeah, maybe. No? I, I, don't, I don't think of it really that much, that no. part of it, no. About killing yourself? <laughs> Everybody has to think about that. I think about it every day. <laughs> Do you guys have any questions for Peter? <laughs> Cop out. 
Come on, man. Well, how much time do we, well, how much time do we have? We should wrap. We shouldn't it up. ask that. All right, go ahead. Um, so what you working on? No, um, no that was If you don't, if you don't come up with something, I'm gonna start asking you questions. Go. No, that's my job. No, I have to say that seeing this group tonight was like the most I feel like I can hope for for myself is that as I continue to engage with, with the musical practice, that the things that I care about in music, that the, that the ideas become synthesized in a way that reflects you know, uh, a journey inward. Mm -hmm. It reflects craftsmanship. It reflects um, building something that is, you know, truly has a, 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 an integrity to it. And I really feel like the music that you played tonight reflects the, the you that I've known for, Thanks, man. for 12 years. And I really, I gotta say, I enjoyed the smaller group. Um, I'm kind of a dumb listener and I need to like zero in on things a little bit. Right. Um, yeah, we've done, set, we've done two tours of seven people and we've done a lot of gigs with less people. Yeah. It's a modular kind of setup. Yeah. So I don't know what to think. I mean, a few years ago, I did this gig this, this guitar player named Jean-Paul Borelli, he's this, he's a, he was in New York for a while and moved to Berlin to raise his kid and, uh, kids. And uh, I played some gigs with him and they were cool. And then he, he heard a couple of bands of mine on this festival. And he was, and then he, he came with his wife and heard me play solo in Berlin like a few days later. And he had this, that really great kind of older musician, not really that impressed, but supportive <laughs> thing. And he was like, hey man, like, yes, okay, so, your bands are cool, but like your solo thing sounds like you. So like, why are you doing, why do you have bands that are playing some regular music? Even, uh, even like referencing it. Like, right. it doesn't mean you can't reference traditional stuff, but like that, and so it, it was really good to hear that. And so it made me think a lot. That was like maybe three years ago. And that actually really, that one conversation actually really had a big impact on me. The question was, was, playing solo, I heard you, why are you doing group projects? No, no, no. It wasn't like that. He's talking about the actual music. Yeah. He's like, this, the material of what you're doing and the way that it's put together in the solo stuff is, is a lot more original right. than what you're doing in your band. He didn't say this, but this is, what I'm, this is what I read in his comments. And I think he's right. At that, I think at that, that time he was actually right. And so it made me think, like, how would I, how would I extrapolate some of these ideas and not just the uh, musical ideas, but the processes of how things work because if my, if my whole solo thing is to try to make myself more than one person for my own emotional uh, well-being, spiritual growth, right? Like is that I want, what you, th you think about it or have thought about it? Well, it's, like, it's, it's not like um, this guy Inyat Khan, the Sufi, the Sufi guy. That, yeah. he, he was a musician and quit music and wrote yeah, all these books. he wrote books. that music. And he, wrote, like, he wrote like a million book, books, yeah. and they, they repeat themselves a lot. But like, one thing he says is that like, when people talk about this idea of like, in the looking inward, the, the word that gets used a lot is annihilation. Mm -hmm. And he's like, that word sounds really bad to people in the West. Because this guy, a lot of his career was like talking about these Sufi ideas in the West. And he's like, that's just a matter of translation. And he's like saying that the Arabic and the Sanskrit words, when you translate them, it really means more like passing through something. Mm -hmm. So you're actually going through something to something bigger, right? So like you're not annihilating yourself, you're actually like going beyond it. And like one way for me to conceptualize that as a solo player is to think about instead of a self more like a multitude of selves or a, a bunch of things that aren't necessarily even me mm -hmm. right and so like if that's the idea of playing solo and I'm creating multiple things then like why would I why wouldn't I 
not try to do those same things when I'm playing with a band, where there's actually multiple people that can do all that. Yeah. You know? I mean, so it's basically, it's changed the kind of, it's, it's even changed the kind of player that I seek out to play with. Sure. No, it, no it, I mean, I, I was honestly smiling for a lot of the set because I could hear, there's mm. Peter, there's Peter, there's Peter. Like, it really... One of the tunes or something. I mean, there wasn't a lot no, of tunes. No, just in, in, the, in, the, in the entirety of it. Hmm. I mean, I, I, I can't... Which is funny, because for I feel like there's a lot less of me than in previous bands. Like, I don't really have to do that much in this group. Like, we make the roadmap. Yeah, that's why it's so good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I really, like, I, I, I feel like I could not play for a lot of it. And, like, in this, and it just would be, would be fine. Well, you that's know? a good thing, no? Yeah, it's great. I love it. It's what I wanted my whole life. I mean, feeling I comfortable I want to feel, with the situation Well, to, is... feel like a, to feel like a side man in your own band, that's, like, a classic thing, right? And, like... Well, I think people have different reasons for that. Why? What do you mean? I mean, a musician... Uh, I, I can think of a musician that you and I know who's a bit older... And he wants to play as little as possible because it's hard for him now. Oh, like physically? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, that's, that happens. Yeah. Yeah, that's fine. You know, that might happen to me. It will. You're a trumpet player. Exactly. So I'm, I'm getting ready for it now. Maz, take a solo. <laughs> I mean, is that... <laughs> My lip hurts. I mean, do you guys know about that with trumpet players? Like, it's kind of, you know, uh, a losing bargain in a lot of ways that you, you accept that you're going to lose some facility as time passes. Yeah. More than other instruments. Definitely. Is there an aspect of that that's attractive to you? Yes. It's, and it's, what I, is it? I like the idea of, I like the idea of limits uh -huh. and like um, that negotiating limits. I even like the idea that over the course of a set, there's a like uh, diminishing returns. That like as I go through the whole night, there's things that are going to be possible at certain times that are going to be impossible at other right. times. And I like, I actually like having to put the circle into the square hole to like the music that I want to make in my like ideal brain or whatever actually has to go through this filter of getting fucked up by mm -hmm. the instrument and by the interface that for me is kind of really attractive yeah you know and so I mean I'm saying this now as a 36 year old trumpet player I feel, I feel chops wise pretty good but it's like I think I want to keep that idea kind of percolating in my brain as things go further you know I yeah. mean We'll see. I mean, going back to the start you of this conversation. Yeah. No, I, don't, I mean, going back to the start of this conversation, it, it, it seems to be very consistent with... I don't know, that, that, that frailty, like, like constantly acknowledging... Yeah, I, I like that. That things yeah. are, are deteriorating. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Is, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, it helps to stay present. Mm -hmm. um, and it, I think it helps to... find, like, a sense of humanity in it, you know? Like, a, it... it that's why I'm gonna get an iwi, man, because I'm gonna make the iwi frail. That's my that's my whole job. The whole... I'm gonna get a fanny pack, and I'm gonna have a wind machine, and it's gonna be like Newport Jazz Festival, 1985. Every single time I play, but with frail, but frail. <laughs> Peter Evans. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys for coming. Um, there's a mailing list for the uh, the venue. You sign up. Thanks to Melinda. Um, for having us. I love you, Peter. Love you too, Jeremiah. Thanks, let's go, man. Uh, let's go hang.
Thanks. Cheers, everyone.